Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. Hey, Tara. Hey. How's it going? Good. We've already been talking for like 16 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Very specific number. Uh, Well, yes. I'm a very specific person. Sometimes we just have to get all the weird stuff that, like, doesn't matter to literally anybody else out of the way first. Right. Right. Which is hysterical because we're usually still pretty ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Right. True. (laughs) Right. Who are we shouting out this week? This week we're shouting out a local to me, Garden City Harvest out of Missoula, Montana. And you don't have this pleasure, Stephanie, but every time you drive through a certain part of Missoula... Yeah. There's this cutest, I think it's like one acre in the middle of Missoula and it's truly covered in garden. It's all oh, garden. Really? They have a little CSA building out there. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I was like, I should do a shout out on him. So here we are. Here we it's are. It's so I cute. It. You would love it. Garden City Harvest was started back in 1996 and they truly stand out to me because their main priority has always been providing healthy, affordable food to the Missoula Food Bank. The food bank otherwise would never be able to afford such high quality food. And on top of that, they're also educating people on how to grow their own food and taking a stand to stop food insecurity in the community, which is a huge issue in Missoula because people are being priced out and lower income families are being priced out like crazy. Everyone's moving to Montana. So the people that have been there forever are really, really struggling. That's I think that's happening in like the greater portion of the West, honestly. Yeah. It's because it's happening here and we're not even a city. Right. It really reminds me of the potato famine. And if you look up any history on that, people from England moved England. to Ireland yep. and bought all their land. Yep. And then the people living in poverty were starving. And just be mindful of that. Like thinking of that really made me think of history repeating itself in yeah. Missoula. But luckily yeah. we have Garden City Harvest for this. Garden City Harvest has a thriving farm to school program as well that is encouraging children from kindergarten age to become involved in gardening. At-risk teens are also encouraged to become involved in the farm setting, providing them with experiences necessary for entering jobs. Instead of going to jail for like minor charges, youth are encouraged to work in the community. And a judge was listening to the radio and he heard that community gardens was, this community garden was looking for workers and he had this idea to put these at-risk youth into this environment and get them working outside and so many of these kids have had these positive experiences and they keep coming back to garden city harvest saying that they have had these great opportunities because of it that's really cool and it i mean it goes to show how it takes a village but it's amazing when a couple entities get together and take care of each other like that they really do yeah. yeah and that really speaks to how missoula is in some senses, it's just that kind of community. Yeah. As if this all wasn't enough, they're also distributing food to like rest homes. And this brings so much joy to the locals in the rest homes. They're just having that strong tie to the community because Garden City Harvest is such a community-driven area. Currently, Garden City Harvest has 20 different locations in the community and they continue to grow. You can donate to their cause once or even sign up to donate like monthly or if you own a business you can look into doing a business sponsorship garden city harvest also offers csas that can be purchased school garden programs field trips and farmers in the classroom 
like settings, they offer that for people around Missoula, as well as teacher resources on their website, which can be found at gardencityharvest.org. We'll have that in our show notes. I just think it's so cool, like that they're doing all literally all of that on right. a small plot in a city. Yeah. It's really mind blowing. And yeah. it makes makes me feel like, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing with my life? I, yeah, I feel like I should be doing so much more when I hear stories like that. It's so cool. Yeah, it really took a community, though. There's multiple people yeah. involved. So yeah, that helps totally. a lot. Awesome. Well, if you want to ask us a question or send us a shout out, you can email us at milkmatespodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at milkmatespodcast. Do it. So, Tara. What is that? I got my socks. <gasps> I got mine too. Did you? Yeah. Are you like, I haven't even put them on my feet yet. I just unboxed them. So, Tara and I, it was Olivia, right? Our friend Olivia? Yeah, Olivia. So, our friend Olivia told us about these socks. What are they called again? Darn, Darn tough. tough socks. Yep. From Vermont. And that's right. The exotic place of the country. <laughs> um, so, uh, after Olivia told us that, both Tara and I hurried up and ordered some. Not only and- for ourselves. But for our husbands as well. Stinky husbands too. Yeah. Yeah. I got like, I ended up having to get a mid-weight one because they didn't have the heavy weight in my tiny size. (laughs) Should have looked in the kids. Anyways, I'm like super impressed, you guys. Me too. Yeah. quality, like they're thick. I wore mine for three days in a row. You have already worn them? Yeah. For three days in a row, I wore them. Yeah. So you're like, I'm still? Yeah. 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 I'm going to wash them and then try, keep trying them, but. They were yeah. so comfortable. Usually socks, after the first day, I can't even wear them. But these ones I re- was able. I know that sounds gross, but they're wool. No, they're wool. Yeah. No, I'm super impressed with them. So anyways. Yeah. If you want to join our, what is this? A test competition. We decided <laughs> competition. it's a competition. Right. <laughs> Who can destroy their, I mean, keep their socks longest. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'm just like trying to wear them as much as I can to see if anything happens. But so far, no holes. Well, you're three days ahead of me. Yeah. I just got mine. So it's really not a scientific experiment. Again, because you're behind. (laughs) If we could sum up our podcast, not really a scientific experiment because stuff's behind. (laughs) We should have called the podcast that. (laughs) Can you imagine the abbreviation? I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So uh, one bit of podcast business I'm going to mention. I had said last time because stuff is behind the show notes are never done before the show is done um <laughs> i tried so, my best right i uh anyhow we recorded before i circled back on links and stuff that i said i was going to put in there so i said i was going to put a link in there to the kit that i bought for yeah. my milking system here's the deal <laughs> they're not offering that specific package anymore it's gone it's gone. So I don't know if maybe, maybe like one thing sold, one thing sold out and they just need to add something else. I don't know. Maybe it'll come back. So but what, she's not a website scientist. No, no, no. Or am I in charge of Hamby Dairy? Like this is not my, <laughs> right. I don't know why I feel How like dare I need you? to figure this out. How right. dare you let these people tell? So, <laughs> so I um, just included, I sent it to Tara and Tara included um, <laughs> the links to the best of my abilities as far as like the components of what was in that original kit that I own. Right. Right. So if you're, if you're like really stuck on, you want the same exact thing that I have, I would give them a call Hamby Dairy because they're like super cool over there and will really set you up and work with you. So yeah. Other 
quick brief note about Hamby. Whenever you're shipping and you're looking at the LTD shipping, like the limit, the light, what's it called? Light duty trucking. I don't know what it's called. Not UPS. <laughs> I like that you understand that. I don't understand. I have no idea what you're talking about. You're just about. staring at me. If like something has to come on a pallet, how about that? If something has to come on a the pallet. The pallet truck. Yeah, but there's like an abbreviation for LTD, it. I think it is. Right. What does it stand for? <laughs> light duty. Obviously. Uh, no. Why does anybody care? I don't know. See, we should have talked for longer because the silliness is still here. Call. Don't trust the website. And they have a note about that on their website too. Don't trust the website as far as the um, shipping estimate because the website can only do what it can do based on weights. And it almost always estimates fairly significantly high. So if you have to get something on a pallet, if you're looking at ordering milk machine call them and they will calculate the shipping there for you and it's probably less so don't I, I guess don't look at the shipping and be like oh my gosh that's terrible and then never address it again oh yeah so yeah call that's them. a good note yeah anyways what has been going on in your farm this week Dixie should be in if she didn't take she should be in heat Sunday and the pigs are bred you I mean that? Yeah, yeah yeah they didn't come back into heat so nice. they're bred and it's really funny when you have a boar because then after that, all they do is sleep all day, <laughs> all night, get up to eat. Boars have it made. They really have the best life. Yeah. They don't understand that they're living their best life. Just lay around. Right. Show up once a year. Right. Lay around some more. And then my little one, he goes to preschool twice a week. So every day that he's gone, I've been making soap because it's not something you can like do with a child under yeah. his lie. Yeah, that whole lie thing is kind of... It's not dangerous when it's by yourself, unless you're Stephanie. It's more of that you don't want anything to happen, and kids can always be in your business. So when he's gone, I've been making soap, and that's been going really good. Yeah, you've been killing it. Yeah, I've been making a lot. I think I have like 100 bars now. So Awesome. Soap for days. Soap for days. <laughs> what about you? You know what? I don't really even honestly know, because it's my life has been a, like a personal train wreck, <laughs> pretty much. Right. I'm not going to go into it. Tara already knows the story, but I'm not going to cry in front of all you people. But we lost our dog fairly unexpectedly on Monday and like had to bring yeah. down. So yeah. anyhow, um, that was a couple days lead up. And then um, I've kind of just been a pregnant hormonal crying mess. Since right. Then. Yeah. It's been not fun. So the farm stuff has kind of gotten pushed to the side on account of that. We have had one round of escaped pigs we had to address. Durox. Durox Don't get Durox. Are the literal worst. <laughs> this specific area that I have the pigs in right now has held so many pigs for several seasons. Right. Without issue. You know, the only pigs to break my A-frame houses yeah. were mixed with Durock as well. Were they really? Well, they were Idaho pasture pigs. Oh. And it's just a mixture yeah. of Cooney Coon, Durock, and Berkshire. And that Durock part just like sticks out in whatever you breed. They're horrible. It with. It's just all Durock. Yeah, because Nancy, the mom pig, she's a Berkshire, and she was like the sweetest, kindest, gentlest pig ever. Yeah. And all we we raised her genetics for two years. Never had an issue. Right. Yeah. Anyways, they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible Durox pigs. are, yeah. They're wild. They're destructive. So they just don't care. No. At the same time, like everything's really muddy right now. Um, we've yeah. just gotten so much rain, and it's, it's, when, it's about to the point in the year where I'm like, okay, just get to get to negative 20 and stay there because yeah it's a lot easier when the mud is frozen exactly exactly um and you know you don't want the cold but you get so tired of the mud so yeah 
So with that being said, it wasn't, the fence wasn't constructed all too well um, on account of the fact that, you know, pigs can undermine things when it's muddy. So yeah. anyhow, luckily Brian was home for that too, because I would have been, I would have been pregnant and sat on the porch and been like, I guess fence them out, people. <laughs> Not my problem. Crying over right? my dog, watching the pigs run and destroy people's property. Would have been horrible. I know. I told you yeah. that they're just like wild Wyoming pigs now. Yeah. Not my problem. No. <laughs> they're all, ca- they're, well, yeah, they're all, the, the boys are castrated, so they couldn't cause too much problems. No. Yeah. They yeah. couldn't breed. No. That's really all you need is. It'd be an end. There'd be an end yeah. point to the wild Wyoming pigs. <laughs> right. <laughs> the other bit of exciting information that has happened is that, well, I, I guess I'm pretty sure, I could say I'm pretty sure at this point, that I did track Virgie. I thought she was going to be coming in on Saturday, uh, but she ended up coming in on Thursday. So Thursday morning, so rewind. Tuesday and Wednesday, her production was down. Brian and I talked about it. And we're like, yeah, you're getting less, I'm getting less. And so made a mental note of that. I said, but she's coming in on Saturday, so that's why, right? Right. Well, it turns out she came in on Thursday because Thursday morning, uh, I, I mean, I had to like flat get after her to get her separated from chicken to come in and chickens are mini Hereford. So I had to like really, really work to get her into the parlor. And then yeah. she was just obsessed with chicken. And where I wasn't quite sure is chicken like wasn't fully obsessed with her. Um, <laughs> but chicken hasn't been like chicken's true love was Maribel. And after Maribel left, she's never bonded <laughs> she's with another cow like cow heartbroken. <laughs> kind of sad. Yeah. Cause like she'd mount Maribel, no problem. Also Virgie's like two, two and a half foot taller than Maribel. Yeah. So yeah. chicken might be like, yeah, there's not a chance in hell. <laughs> You're on your own Virgie. <laughs> I don't know. Cause even when she was like trying to sniff her chicken's head was like straight up in the air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just with like the signs I was seeing, I called my guy and I was like, Hey, here's the deal. Like she's a couple days early, but this is what I'm noticing. And then when I milked um, that morning, I only got three quarters of a gallon. Oh, which wow. She's in the morning. She's either somewhere between three and three and a half gallons. Yeah. That's a huge sign. So for her, that's like probably going to be her biggest tell is her production. So, Drop in production. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyways, he came out last night and I had every intent to take pictures and videos and stuff because we just did our episode on AI for cows. If you guys haven't heard that, circle back. But anyhow, I had the baby with me. And by the time I got the baby situated, he was done. So, well, uh, you missed it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he had said that when he got in there that, uh, and started manipulating the uterus, she gave a bunch of discharge to him, which signaled to him that she was ready. Oh, okay. he, He said her cervix was super pliable. So he said between the two things, he felt really good about the fact that we caught her correctly. And then this morning, her production was right at three gallons, and she was kind of over. She, I mean, she like she came pretty much right into the parlor. She's not obsessed with chicken, so I'm pretty confident that we nailed her. Yeah, it sounds got like it, it. Got the timing right. So anyhow, um, if you ever have something like that, just go earlier. Yeah. And then if you need to do again, you do again. But yeah, to start part two of the milking machine episode that may never end because it turned out to be a heavy episode. <laughs> There's so much information, I think, there is about so, it. If you haven't listened to part one, circle back. We did that last week. And this week, we're going to do part two. So in part one, we did history, terms, yeah. basic information. And now in our classic style, 
Here you go. Do an entire episode and then make you wait a week. And here's the stuff you actually came for. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. So we are going to pick up with um, the exciting part of how to actually use one. So my barn's different than a lot of people's barns. I have a specific area in my barn that um, I use just for milk processing. I have all of my cleaning equipment in there and such. Some people will be using their kitchen instead, right? This is not necessarily mandatory, but... Anyhow, that's where all my stuff is. So I do all of my cleaning ahead of time. That way the milk isn't sitting around while I clean. So, and you could even do this in your kitchen too, before you leave to go out to the barn and milk, just wipe down your counters, right? Make sure you have your stuff set out or however you do it. Um, I just disinfect the surfaces that I'll be working on. Just a little bleach water and a bag, not a big deal. Then I prepare my machine. So I get everything hooked up correctly and ready to work. And for me, I I do take my machine apart every single milking. Takes quite a bit of work to get everything hooked back up again. It's just part of it. Um, And then also make sure all your hands, all of your hands, who says that? Make sure (laughs) all of your hands are clean before you start working. All 15 hands are clean. (laughs) All of them. Also, (laughs) yeah. shouldn't be that silly of an episode. I need sleep. Yes, you do. Um, so when you're hooking stuff up, you also want to be inspecting for any standing water anywhere. And this is like telling you if you're doing your cleaning job well from the night before or the morning before or what have you. You don't want any standing water or any sort of condensation. If you have that, that's key to you that you need to adjust your cleaning process. After I have all of that assembled, I take the bucket and set it near the stanchion and then hook it up to the vacuum line and turn on the pump. And we talked, I'm realizing this is kind of vague, but we did talk more in detail last week about vacuum lines and vacuum pumps. So circle back. I also try and make sure I have everything ready to go before I bring the cow in for several reasons. When you do bring her in, uh, she's going to be ready to go, right? So once you get them on a routine, they're going to start letting down their milk as soon as they realize that this is their routine. Yeah. So you want to have all of your feed ready, your buckets, whatever you're going to have there in place and ready to go. And then do you want to talk about teat prep? Yeah, sure. So for teat prep, this is pretty much the same if you're hand milking or machine milking. So you can circle back and listen to our milking, like our how-to episodes. It's a two-part. And then you want to make sure everything is super, super clean. That includes your hands, all of them. All all (laughs) All hands hands are clean. Yes, start by cleaning your hands. Stephanie washes her hands before the cow comes in. And like my area is separate. I can't just wash my hands out there, but I do bring soapy water out so I'll just make sure that my hands are washed in the soapy water and then I also use hand sanitizer as well. Stephanie has teat wipes that she uses because they're a little bit more ideal than soap and water. The contamination risk with water entering the orifice is a thing if you are using washcloths and hot soapy water. Yeah I did that for years though yeah and I know you still do that. I do. Um, I had a scare I had two of my goats get just a generalized staph infection, not the bad one. And so I like kind of panicked and changed literally everything. But back to buy the book is how I got back on tea wipes. Yeah. Anyhow, it's, yeah, it's like just ever so slightly a better method, but it does cost more money and it's something else to order and have on hand. And And the hand. Yeah. You just need to decide. I'm not going to fully say that soap and water sucks because it doesn't. Just decide what you're comfortable with. Right. It's been working really well for us. So I'm just going to stick with that. And Stephanie uses a new wipe for each teat so she doesn't cross contaminate. And if you are having issues, this is even more of a big like do this because you want to make sure that the teat that's contaminated isn't contaminating other teats. It's a whole thing. 
Again, listen to our other episode on how mm-hmm. I do it with a washcloth. If you're using soap and water, like I barely use any water in the washcloth, so it's not super wet. You don't want it sopping wet. And then you need to just take extra care that the teats are 100% dry. And it's not necessary with the webs, wet wipes because they're not really, really wet. Teat dip in pre-dip. Make sure to do each tea all the way up to the udder so you get the full disinfection with everywhere that the inflation might come in contact with it. And it's pretty easy on your cow because her teats are so short. Yeah, they've gotten a little bit better, bigger since she came in, <laughs> came into milk. But yeah. when she was just bred or like even those first few days, her teats were like half an inch long. Seriously. <laughs> in the world? They've even gotten if, a little bit better now. Yeah. When a, a cow's milk comes in at first, like it's really yeah. hard to milk them because their teats are so like shortened because their bag is so full. So it's, it's all that edema. Yeah. Yeah. You want to make sure to wait the recommended time for wiping it off. And that just, it it says on your bottle, it's usually around 15 to 60 seconds. Each bottle says it on the side. Just make sure you look and see. Even if you order a new one, you want to make sure. Yeah, because sometimes those things change. And when you wipe it off, use a new towel for each teat. I don't do that. I just use one washcloth and then I use a new corner for each time. You can also do that if you're milking with a machine. Make sure it's good and dry. And you can use paper towels and watch your towel isn't touching like the dirty areas or the hair. Yeah. Just watch that you're not, you're not making contact with any sort of contaminated space. You're going to strip the foremilk with clean hands and take three or so squirts out of each teat and ideally into a strip cup to examine it. And stripping allows for inspection of the milk and also signals the cow to let down her milk. I don't have like an actual strip cup. I just use a little stainless steel bucket. That's fine too. I honestly only do the strip cup like once a week. Yeah. I usually just squirt it into my drain. Oh yeah, you have a drain. So you're now ready to hook up the line. Ideally, you want to have the teat prep time down to like one minute. This allows the most natural letdown and the quickest and easiest milking. So you don't want to be messing around because they do start letting down right when they get in there. And then you're going to get the best cream if you get milking her right away and then also she's not going to build up and get mastitis. Yeah. And like you're, you and your cow are going to learn that timing situation, but like yeah. big, big dairy's done the research and less like right around one minute is perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes it easier on everybody more comfortable if you can get dialed into that section, which is why it's so important to have everything right there and ready to go. Yeah. So now it's time to hook up your machine. So you're going to make sure that your machine's hooked up to the vacuum and the vacuum is on. And, you know, some people have like a small vacuum in a garden cart, right? Yeah. That they wheel right up to their cow and there's not a lot to troubleshoot there. Ours, our vacuum is hard piped into our barn. So we have several valves in between uh, the bucket and the, and the pump. So I always try to make sure that all of the valves are where they should be in order to have vacuum. And I kind of do that even before she comes in just to make sure that I'm getting vacuum to my bucket. You'll want to make sure that your vacuum is shut off to the inflations at this time. So mine has a hose clamp on the milk line. Some have a button on the claw. Uh, the claw. The, the claw. <laughs> Some old school ones, uh, you just have to run it by a valve. So uh, it's hard to explain, but if you have vacuum just running, you're not going to be able to hook it up to the cow. Like it won't, if you have the vacuum full blown open, it's not going to be able to build up vacuum pressure if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. So people have different ways of hooking up their machine. I couldn't seem to find a consistent source on how to do this. Most places it just says 
hook up the machine or hook hook the machine up to the cow. <laughs> fold in the cheese. Fold in the cheese. Seriously. <laughs> so, and then like, what I'd does watch, that even mean? I'd watch these videos and then I'd try to do it like they were and it wouldn't, I wouldn't get the same results. And I could not for the life of me figure out what the heck was going on. And honestly, I, I don't know if it comes down to a difference in machinery or what have you, but what, what I ended up doing is I reached out to one of my local dairy friends here and she showed me how she did it. So what works for me, and this is going to be so hard to uh, describe, maybe I should try and do a video of this even yeah. for our, put on our Instagram highlights or something. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'll have that done by the time this episode comes out. Uh, remind me there. I'll try. Keep me in line. (laughs) Um, So what works for me is I hold the back two inflations with one hand. And for me, that's my left hand. So I hold the back two inflations together and I hold them kind of vertical so that they're pointed up towards the teat and then um, (laughs) kind of squish or loosen the bottoms so that they line up perfectly with those teats, right? You can kind of control, whoops, I just hit the microphone. (laughs) You can kind of control if they're going in or out. I'm motioning to Tara so she can check if I'm making any sort of sense here. Now that you have those two kind of ready to go, you have your front ones just laying there, right? What are they going to do? So I do this like twisting crossing thing. (laughs) This is so clear without a visual component. So I take one inflation and I twist it over the milk line. So now it's pointing the opposite direction. And I take the other one and twist it. So now they're crossed. And the Uh reason you don't have to do it this way. The reason I do it this way is to cut when you twist it and fold it over like that, it cuts off vacuum to those two inflations. So now I only have, well, right at this very moment, the vacuum's turned off, but anyhow. So as I'm holding the back two, I have the front ones crossed over. I line up the back two with her back two teats. And when I get the teats inside of there, I turn the vacuum on by opening up my hose clamp. All right. Does that make sense? I'm so following. It's hard. I know. Is there a so, test at the end of this? Well, I, I feel like I'm talking and I'm looking to you. Like, does this make any sense without having a visual? So at that point, you turn on your vacuum with your hose clamp or how, your button on the bottom of the claw, wherever it is. And those back inflations are going to latch on to her back two teats, right? Mm-hmm. So now you can let go with that hand and situate yourself to where you can uncross oh. one at a time up yeah. front and put one at a time on the front teats. Okay. So, right. I had to go to my friend's house to learn how to do this. Yeah. And then I came home and it took a week or two to get anywhere near proficient. Right. I mean, like I had inflations flying everywhere. <laughs> like it was not graceful <laughs> whatsoever. So it just takes a little bit of time to get that smooth. In the meantime, while I was figuring out how to like handle all of this stuff. And even before I went to her house, trying to figure it out, my machine came with four plugs Right. go inside the inflations. If you are struggling with this like complex holding scenario I just tried to describe over an audio <laughs> platform, stick those plugs in the end of your inflations and take them out one at a time and attach them to a teat one at a time. Oh. That's perfectly doable too. The reason I wanted to get away from that, well, I'm competitive. <laughs> I couldn't let my dairy friend be better and more proficient <laughs> than me. And also those plugs are one more thing to lose, one more thing to wash. Yeah. One more thing to tote from the parlor to the washroom. So anyhow, they, they work awesome though. If you are trying to learn one component, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You could use, you could use two plugs and just work on two inflations at a time. Oh, that makes sense. Too, yeah. While you're learning. Essentially the advice that was given to me, which I thought was pretty kind of like a, oh, aha kind of a moment was that. You want to keep those 
hose is kinked or keep the plugs in, whatever you end up doing while you're hooking it up, A, it helps maintain vacuum pressure, but the gold standard here is that this whole process should be done silently. So if you have your machine and you don't have it hooked up to a cow and you're just holding the cloth and you turn on vacuum pressure to it, it's going to like suck, right? Right. It's going to vacuum. Is what you'll hear. (laughs) (laughs) Right. While it's doing that, it's pulling in any contaminants from the air. It's pulling in anything that's falling off your cow. Hair. Whatever. Right? So if you have the the hoses kinked or the plugs in and you hook it up without hearing that noise, that means that you were not pulling in any contaminants. That makes sense. So that is the standard. Now, sometimes I nail that. Sometimes I... I, I don't quite nail it. I have a split right. second of, of that noise. I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, and adjust it. <laughs> Chances are good that you will be just fine if you have yeah. the, the, the hose sucking. Uh, plenty of people don't worry about it. I always just try to look for what's the next step in my learning. What, how yeah. can I be just a little bit better? So that is one little piece of piece of advice. A note on this hookup process, you don't need to force the teats all the way into the liners. They don't need to be on the teats very much. And as the cow empties, the inflations are going to kind of climb up the teats anyhow. So okay. don't like take it and shove it all the way up to her udder. Just kind of attach it and let it do what it's going to do. And now that you have all of the teats hooked up to all of the inflations and your vacuum on, at some point during this process, the pulsator should have started. So like when I have my back two hooked up and my front one's kinked, the pulsator will frequently start right then and there. If the if, if it's not pulling anything with some resistance, the pulsator's not thumping. So once you have her hooked up, if you don't hear that thumping noise of the pulsator, you need to address something's going on that your pulsator is not, not functioning. So either you don't have the right vacuum pressure or what have you. And you can also test this. Like if this is one of the first times that you've used your milk machine, you can also test out the pulsator beforehand too. Yeah. That's even, especially if you get a new one or not a new one, if you get a used one, that's really important. Yeah. And you should just like, and maybe look up a YouTube video, just hear what it sounds like for that yeah. pulsator to be running correctly. But anyhow, if you put all the plugs in or kink all the lines and turn on the vacuum pressure, it will the pulsator will go. And you can make sure that that's functioning before you have it on your cow. That's not something you do every day. That's just like a learning your machine learning right. process kind of thing. If you're having problems hooking up your machine, if the cow's angered by it, whatever, consult your manual because there, there's like typically a whole troubleshooting guide in there. If you bought yours used, I was able to, like, I didn't want to run out to the barn when I was working on this and get my manual. I was able to quickly pull it up online. So keep that in mind too, if you bought yours used. Now, dairy supply places are also a really good place to call. Like I, I did buy my machine from Hamby and I was an idiot when I got it. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I called them probably three or four times and was like, hi, so I have a question. And they were like, oh yeah, just do this. Just do that. Like they're super happy to help. Right. New people. So you yeah, can also and ask when, them. When you're spending that much money, don't feel guilty for no. calling them because they're there to help you. No, I could have got I could have got a cheap one from Amazon, but I, I, I did it that way so that I would have that resource. So I'm entitled exactly. to that. Yeah. Right. You're entitled to that if you buy from them. So anyhow, and then I mean ultimately we aren't experts, but we'd be happy to help get you answers too. So if you're having any problems, the claws falling off, mid milking, your cow keeps kicking it, whatever call or don't call us, I guess, reach out to us. <laughs> call Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, because if we went through each and every single one of those troubleshooting things, it would be a 27 part episode as opposed to two really long part episodes. So once the machine's hooked up, you'll want to adjust the claw and the hose in the bucket 
the whole apparatus such that the unit's hanging straight and not twisted. It's pretty much directly under the udder. If you do have a slight forward tension, the cow does milk out just a touch faster. And then the big thing, stay with your cow, especially, especially, especially while you guys are learning each other. But while she's milking out, you need to stay with her until you guys have the routine down pat because she can still kick the machine off, run out of feed, any number of things. Just, it doesn't take long. Just stay there. Well, and that's the thing, like they can be in heat and my cow is super naughty when she's in heat. She'll kick for no reason. Yeah. So you might not know that your cow's in heat and then you walk off to go do something and she kicks the whole machine off and it's not cheap. So no, it's not cheap. And then now the inflations are on the grounds and you have a half milked out cow. So you have to figure out how to get the inflations clean enough that you trust to hook them back up again. Right. Hope she doesn't poop. Exactly. The whole nine yards, (laughs) the whole nine yards. And here's the thing. It should take like two to 10 minutes to milk out that cow depending. Yeah. I timed Virgie the other day. Uh, and it was five minutes exact, like on wow. the lot, five minutes. So, yeah. And that's for the three to three and a half gallons of milk. That's amazing. So if your cows, like the mini jerseys, it took like a minute. So Yeah, I bet. Or a whole scene would take longer, you know? So anyhow, you'll know she's done by watching the claw. So the claws usually see through in most cases it is. And it's kind of designed by that or designed like that on purpose. And her milk will go from an almost steady stream down to like a trickling, basically nothing. And you'll notice that her udder's soft and wrinkled as well. A note on the udders, though, is after calving or kidding, udders take like a week or so for the swelling and edema to relieve, uh, which I'd really worried about with Virgie. I hadn't quite seen that in the minis as much. And my cow was ginormous. Yeah, and it wasn't so much that I didn't see it in the mini jerseys, but like I think it was just their volume was so much smaller that it wasn't right. as, as apparent. Significant, yeah. yes. Uh, and then I was doing it by hand. So I was doing a lot of the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, is huge. So I worried about it a lot with Virgie. I actually reached out to my dairy friend about it and was like, ah, what's right. happening? But basically all of that swelling and edema, it to, the machine will look like she's milked out, meaning there's no more milk going through the claw, but her udder will still look full and feel fairly hard. But that's just edema and it's totally normal. Yeah. So as long as you're getting the amount you would probably expect – just rest easy. And I know that can be hard if you're like a brand new, this cow is brand new to you or what have you, but just know that like, you know, your Jersey's going to do five to seven gallons a day or whatever the case is. Right. Yeah. And if you're getting relatively that amount, you're probably just fine. If you have a full size cow, she just kitted utter still hard and you only got a half of a gallon. Then that's kind of a red flag situation. She probably isn't letting down and you need to find a way to help her let down. So and this would be the same for hand milking too. Yeah. Like that's, this isn't really. This is if just you're calf sharing too, sometimes they just hold up for yeah, their calf. Because they insist that the calf needs 27 gallons a day. Yeah. Right. So you can massage your udder with a cream like Dynamite or use um, an injectable oxytocin. Both will help. Some people refuse to use oxytocin. I get it. That's fine. If you do decide to use oxytocin, don't get her accustomed to it though, or she won't let down without it. Some, some cows get addicted. Oh my gosh. Some cows get addicted. So wow. anyhow, I did use oxytocin once on Virgie just to confirm that I was getting the full amount uh-huh. because I had never been around a full-size cow before. Right. It sh- turned out she didn't need it. She was doing her job just Perfectly fine regardless. Fine. Yeah. Right. So, so when she's milked out, you need to get her disconnected. And ideally, you don't want that machine on her any longer than necessary um, because applying vacuum to an empty teat for a long period of time can cause damage. So you'll want to watch that and remove it when she's done. And to remove the inflations, you just need to disconnect the vacuum. And again, this is done with whatever mechanism your machine 
has like the hose clamp or the button, do not, for the love of all things holy, try and pull that thing off while that vacuum's on. <laughs> it's going to result in an angry right. cow. It can result in teat damage yeah. that you'll never be able to get come back from. So just don't do that. <laughs> don't do don't that. Don't do it. Right. And then now as you're taking that off, just, just be mindful again because we're handling raw milk that... You know, you don't drop the drop the claw onto the ground, whatever. The buckets come with a nice convenient hook. Hang the thing on the hook. Oh, that's make nice. Make sure you're not running it into everything. And then here's the thing that seems to be confusing. Research shows that post-milking is bad. And post-milking is when you remove the machine and use your hands to hand the milk out anything else that's left behind. Oh, interesting. This made my skin crawl when I first read this information. <laughs> Because I'm like, well, if there's milk in there, it needs to come out, right? Like, right. very panicked about it. Apparently, the more you do that, well, first off, after you've machined milk, everything's been sterilized, and then you put your hands on there. Um, it's another way to induce introduce bacteria you don't want on, on open orifices, right? Secondly, okay. it can more maybe more importantly, it can teach the animal to hold up milk until the machine comes off. She knows oh, she doesn't have to let it all down because you'll hand milk early. Yeah kind of thing. All of the recommendations I can find is to avoid that. I know some old timers who still do it. So yeah, it is what it is. I don't. If you're more interested in that, there's Curious. information out there. Yeah. And then post dipping of the teats with the post dip is important for the sanitation of the cow health too. And I know we did cover this in the hand milking as well, but the orifices on the teats stay open for up to 30 minutes after milking. And that means that all it would take would be for her to step in poop and kick it up onto her teat and that sends bacteria into her udder to cause mastitis. So while that's, yeah. while those orifices are open, you have to be really careful. So two things you can do to ensure safety after milking is to do a post-dip and feed. So the post-dip stays on the teat for a while and provides a coating barrier to prevent contaminants from coming in. And then in fe- and feeding her will encourage her to stand up. Stay yeah. standing while that orifice closes. And then this next bit, milk handling. We've covered this before. And if, if you're first listening to the milking machine one and are new to milking, even if you never plan to hand milk, go listen to that one or the raw milk handling episode because there's a lot more to cover. I was going to leave this out, but recently came across quite a bit of information where it seems like there's some misinformation about milk handling out there. So we're going to cover it again. Yeah, there's actually a lot of misinformation and you know us, we can't. Miss an opportunity to talk about it. So milk handling. First off, as we always do, we like to refer to, I can't say her name, Gian Oclis. I think it's Gian Oclis. Gian Oclis, Caldwell's book, The Small Scale Dairy. I have that book. You have that book. It's really good. So good. good. And sure, the scale might be more than you want to do, but it's a really good place to learn from. Yes. Because it's kind of like the standard, especially for smaller dairies. So yeah, her, and her we, book is really incredible. You and I have both done a ton of research and a ton of books and a ton of blogs and hers is like gold standard. Exactly. Yeah. It's like really good for laying out of milk, like where it comes from, what bacteria is possible and how it works to protect the milk and all of the science to like back it up, which is so refreshing because it's not just something like, oh, well, my pa did it this way. So I'm going right. to do it this way. So right. <laughs> if you are like us, type A who needs to have an answer for everything. It's great. Right. So once you have the milk out of the cow, it's a risk. It was never, ever meant to be seeing the light of day. So once it's exposed, that's what it is. It's being exposed outside of the udder and outside of a calf's stomach, which it was never meant to do, but humans 
decided that that's something we we're going to do and we've actually been rocking it for thousands of years but right. there are proper steps to make sure it's good so the milk has now left its sterile environment and has been touched and exposed to several pieces of equipment especially if you're milking with a machine there's several things that has to go through so the good news is in the machine it's relatively protected from outside air and that's really good with that being said you need to hustle now so get your cow moved out quickly and get that milk processed and chilled asap stephanie takes her bucket directly into she has a processing area i have my house and she washes her hands it immediately sets up a filter to pour my filters are on my jars like 99 percent of the time sometimes you just forget so yeah you just want to get it processing fast so if you get that all set up before you come in with your milk like before you even go outside to milk that's great i i'm the opposite <laughs> i know i don't know why you do that because i don't and maybe it's just because i'm in a barn but like there's flies oh. and stuff i like don't let anything be exposed before i am pouring and capping yeah, that's interesting i have Anyways. good test results and what i do yeah. is i set the filter up on the jar first yeah that way i'm not taking my time letting it sit there Right. So there's a trade-off. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then two, I'm taking longer to get the milk out of the udder since I'm hand milking, whereas you're, it's really yeah. fast. So right. again, just, you need to do what's best for your situation. Right. She takes her jars directly out of the dishwasher because she only has a dishwasher in her barn and she sets them <laughs> on the counter and she leaves the lids loosely on. <laughs> you love bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't actually have a dishwasher in her house. And no. Your circumstance is unique because you can be out in the barn to do this. Yes. It's like literally like, I don't know, five steps until you're into your milk processing. Yeah. Barn. It's a little Whereas, different for me. Like 90% of us don't have that. Correct. So you're just going to have to do the best job you can with what right. you've got. And your kitchen works just fine. It totally does. Yes. You don't need to spend $100,000 for a milk processing room for your family cow. No, no, no. She doesn't leave her jars open and exposed to anything that might fall in them. I do, again, just doing the best. So you want to get your filter disc into the strainer and put it into a jar. These discs are made for milk, and you can order them through a dairy supply company. I just got a notification that mine are out by my mailbox. Oh, I'll nice. get them on Amazon, so I guess nice. we both got milking equipment today. Right. I don't like the washable ones because that's... I have dogs. Like you can't wash something in the washer and then dry it and have it be hairless. So we get oh, the disposable filters. I don't think I even knew about that. I what? knew about like people using the coffee filter. Yeah. I don't do that either. Some people use like a cheesecloth to filter it. Oh. Uh, no, they Yeah. Can't. There's no way to disinfect that, people. Sorry no. about it. Sorry about it. <laughs> it's not okay. One more quick note on filters. There's like an in option for like an inline filter on a machine as well as with the milk machines. She doesn't have one, so like we can't be your expert because I hand milk. She doesn't right. have one. Yeah, so basically like when I called to ask if I needed one, the advice was given to me that like kind of regardless if I have one, most people filter directly before putting it in the jar anyhow. Okay. So I was like, oh, okay, well I won't. Right. I won't get it. Now obviously that's small scale if you're doing a bulk tank or something. Yeah, you definitely want to filter. Yeah, you're not listening to this episode anyways. Right. <laughs> so never set the strainer on anything other than the clean jar and never set the lid on anything other than a sterilized surface. And I set it lid side up. You just yes. want to be conscious the whole time of what you're doing and try to accomplish in terms of sanitization. So pretend you're like in an operating room with that raw milk. Yeah. And once 
Stephanie has everything out and ready to go. She disconnects the lid from the bucket and places the lid, hose, claw, and inflations in the sink. And you want to quickly and carefully pour the milk into the jars. Be sure not to hold the bucket, the bucket, your dirty coat or whatever, over the top of the open jar. Don't sneeze in it. Right. Just like kind of use your brain and yeah, again don't do operating it. room. Right. And once one jar is poured, she takes the lid for that one, open the lid of the next one, and continue. So now that all the milk is poured, you want to hurry that into your chilling system. So they, this can look like a lot of things. Ideally, you'd have an ice water bath because science has proven that that's the best way to get something cooled. I yeah, don't have that contact. Setup. Yeah. I don't either, but we have plans to do that one day. Right. And I don't know if it'll be ice water or just recirculating, or not recirculating, but like a flow of our spring water here is really dang cold all right. year long, like 33 right. degrees. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. And there's a lot of ways that people yeah. have posted how they do this. I yeah. don't, I just use a freezer. Yeah. And I have a creek too. Like if worse comes to worse, I guess, you know, I could set it you in the creek. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cold. I mean, I use the freezer too. So yeah, that works right. just fine. So I do the same thing as Stephanie, chill for two hours in the freezer before moving the jars to the fridge. This is what we all do, like all of the Milkmaids podcast fam, I guess. So basically for like the two hour thing, that's just what Tara and I have figured out that works for us. Both of us, and I remember you specifically, because I had started a little bit before we connected, but you specifically (laughs) were sending me a picture every 10 minutes of your thermometer reading the milk temperature. I'm such a nerd. (laughs) Because you're like, okay, if I put it on this shelf, it does this. But if I put it on that shelf or what have you. So that's like how you kind of need to figure these things out sometimes because following my exact thing, as soon as that milk comes out of the cow, it's hitting ambient temperature of I mean, 20 degrees most of the time at best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So whereas if you were in Florida and it's coming out of the cow and hitting a warmer temperature. (laughs) That's not cool. You know, you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get it cool. So you're going to have to test it. But that's that's what works for us. And you can change the size of your jars, too, if you're concerned about it. Because obviously, that's why I don't like gallon jars. Because it takes a lot longer to cool them down. And I know people swear by it. And that's fine for them. But the half gallon jars I found cool. Yeah. And what I need them to cool by. Yeah, that's, that's what we do too. So if you're worried about forgetting, just if you have a phone, like most people have smartphones, I set a timer. I just say, hey, set a milk timer. Or we yeah. have an Alexa and I say, yes. set a milk timer for two hours. And she always reminds me. So yeah, those, are, those two things are like the biggest convenience. Right. Yeah. You're not going to forget that way. Right. Because they're really annoying when they go off. (laughs) Right. I mean, the bottom line is just cold, cold, cold (laughs) as quickly as you can. You want to rapidly chill this and you want it like sanitary and that gives you the best results for your milk. So just don't cut corners, guys. I know it's a lot more work, but you're just going to be a lot more safer with it and put it in your fridge, label it. You're good to go. Right. Exactly. So here is the other intimidating part about milk machines and that's the cleaning. That needs to happen fairly right away. So as soon as the cow is milked back outside eating breakfast, the milk's been stored, it's time to clean the machine now. Never leave your machine without cleaning it. It's tempting to do because it's pain in the butt to clean. But right. once the milk is set up inside of there, it's way harder to get it off. So there seems to be opinions all over the place on this, on the cleaning of the milk machine. Everything from hardly doing anything to it whatsoever <laughs> to the very intensive version that I do. And I will tell you that... <laughs> Because I'm sorry. Are people not cleaning it? Are they making like a new version of cheese? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. What? Some people just rinse it with, with water. Some people oh. like use dish soap and water. Be yeah. Like, eh, it's clean. Which 
Yeah, sometimes you like dig into this stuff and realize how little people know about bacteria and infection and fun. <laughs> Obviously. I do a very intense version. So what I my kind of thought process is when I don't know when I've never done something before, I follow how somebody else has done it successfully to the T. To the T. Because I know that they've done it that way and have gotten good results. Right. right. Uh, I did that with our pastured poultry. Whatever yeah. it is. Like I just follow it exactly. I don't make any adjustments until that following year or whatever. You right. know, pastured poultry world, it would be the following year. And I'd be like, you know what? I, I don't think we need this part of it for our environment or what have you. Right. It's the same on the milking machines. I have started at the what I I believe to be the best method. Right. Although uh, it, it has taken me quite a bit of effort to find that because much like hook the cow up to the machine, quote, quote, there's a lot of clean the milking machine. Yeah. Quote, quote. It's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Any more information on that? Right. And then, you know, you get on YouTube to try and find these things and people are cleaning their milking machines with less than they than I ever did for my hand bucket. And I'm like, this can't be uh-huh. right. You know? So, no. Absolutely anyhow. not. Right. YouTube is a double-edged sword for that. Yeah. It's either the best or the worst. So just use common sense. I really do think that starting at the top and then cutting your corners where you feel appropriate, go right. for it. And ultimately, that's that's what I'll preface all of this with. So if you don't like if you don't like what I'm saying, test your milk and make sure you're on par. Right. What I can do, what I can tell you is that I've started at the top and I haven't made many adjustments yet. I've made a couple. I do on farm testing. So I can yeah. test my milk every single milking if I want to. And if you decide that you want to not follow the milk machine cleaning protocols that are out there, then get yourself set up to test and see. Exactly. And make sure that your and that kind of comes working. that kind of comes back for me like te- uh using the wash rags that I use. Yeah. And having good test results from that. Okay, I'm not going to buy teat wipes because I know this is working for right. me. You know right. what I mean? Like if you have the test results to back it up, you can't just be like, well, Papa's fine and he's been drinking raw milk for 70 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, his immune system is different than yours. Right. So by all means, just if you have the testing results, that's great. But right. this is just our right. brains, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So all we're doing here is just trying to give you a starting point. Yeah. And if you don't agree with me, fine, adjust it and do what you want. But this is what I've, this is what I've learned. Apparently I'm very defensive over this. <laughs> it's because it took an insane amount of effort because here's the deal. And even when I called like the dairy expert people, no one wants to be held liable. No. And so the you best can't result, get answers. No. Yeah. The best results I got with calling somebody and asking was you'll find what you're comfortable with. I mean, I would ask like a very specific, do I use the acid wash at this point? And the answer would always be like, you'll find what you're comfortable with because no one wants to be held liable. Right. Anyways, that's why the testing is, is what it is. So maybe, I mean, I mean maybe I'm doing that same butt covering. <laughs> do what you're comfortable with. From my perspective, I'm following like what bigger dairies do until I'm fully comfortable. That, that is what it is. And we do have an episode planned. I think it's for next month. Don't quote me on that. I think it's for next month on the on-farm testing too. So it's coming up. Oh yeah. So if you're curious about that, that's something else that I've spent an insane amount of my life researching. So <laughs> anyhow, you got to hyper focus so you don't yeah, cry. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's hard so you don't cry. <laughs> there's no, um, there's no manual on a lot of this no. stuff. So, so far, what I can tell you is that the best you're going to get is following good sources like Janaclis Caldwell's book, mm-hmm. combining that with what's in your manual for your milk machine, and then ultimately tweaking that based on what you read on the manufacturer label on the products that you have to clean your machine with. 
Right. Right. I have what's called a clean and place system. And this is a unit that hooks onto the wall that there is a link for that. It has a hose that runs down into a sink and then a disc on top that allows the inflations to hook up to it directly. So this unit allows the pulsation to engage, which means in theory that the water will get everywhere that the melt got. It's almost like, um, it's almost like hooking it up to a pretend cow. A washing cow. A washing cow. That's what I should call her, the washing cow. I fully understand if you're doing this in your kitchen, how inconvenient it would be to have a milk and place system mounted somewhere in your kitchen. Right. Uh, there's other ways to do it. You can put the inflations just straight into a vessel of water to yeah. accomplish similar things. Your pulsator is not going to work in the same fashion that it does in the clean and place unit. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, just know they exist. They're really convenient and nice if you have somewhere. Like a mudroom. A lot of people have a mudroom. That's a great place yeah. to do that. Uh, the nice thing about the clean in place too is that the water is regulated through a little hole in the bottom of the hose that allows the correct amount of water to go through to ensure you get appropriate contact time. So here's the other pedestal that I can kind of get on. Contact time is what kills bacteria, not yeah. the chemical. The <laughs> contact time, I mean, the chemical does, but if you're using the chemical without the contact time, forget it. Right. It doesn't matter. It's a waste of product. Right. So you have to pair those two things, the chemical and long enough contact time to get the results you're after. So again, what a lot of people don't know, even your jug of bleach, right? I know a lot of people, myself included, use like a bleach spray on your counters. If you yeah. don't let that sit for two minutes, it's not working. Right. It's not disinfecting a damn thing. Yeah. Anyways, but that's right there on the bleach container. And Contact time will be on each and every dairy cleaning product chemical that you get your hands on. Like my detergent is 10 minutes. Oh, interesting. Two minutes. Yeah. So just look those up because, right, somebody else might say, well, you need to run that for four minutes, but they might have a different chemical than you or what Mm -hmm. have you. And a lot of places will say, like, use your dairy detergent. Well, like, what the heck? What kind of brand? What what am I looking for? (laughs) Like, it's not a very easy thing to look up, surprisingly. It's not like you can just go to your store and be like, hey, I need some dairy detergent. Well, yeah, not, not around here anyways. There are some places that you can go to. Some places in the country, like supply or chain stores, farming chain stores will have dairy cleaning. I learned that. That made wow. me really mad because we have... Right. None. We, well, we have chain stores here, farming chain stores, and don't have the stuff. Right. So for me, my first step is to hook the inflations up to the clean and place machine and make sure that the lid's back on the bucket, the bucket's hooked up to the vacuum, and the pump is turned on. So we do have a shutoff valve for the vacuum line right next to the clean and place system, and that's how we control the on and off. A hose clamp right there works too on that vacuum Mm -hmm. hose. If you can't do either one of those, you can really just unplug and plug in the vacuum pump too. Okay. It's not not that big of a deal. So first, the first step is the warm water rinse. This is is the same for hand milking too. You want to rinse all of your equipment with warm water, not cold, not hot. Ideally, you want about 100 to 110 degrees, which I always tell people to think hot tub temperature or bath temperature. If it's too hot, it's going to break down the proteins and deposit them on your equipment. If it's too cold, it'll solidify the fats and deposit them on your equipment, which makes them very hard to get off later. So I do about two to three gallons in my sink to run that through. Uh, that doesn't need to be a very long, a long cycle. So once I have the two to three gallons in my sink, I simply open the vacuum line. The water runs straight up through the clean in, pi- clean in place, out the inflations, down the melcos, and into the bucket. And then I let all of that water run through the machine into the bucket. And then I turn off the vacuum pressure. Empty the bucket now. This is super important. Do not forget to do that step, emptying of said <laughs> bucket. If you forget to empty the bucket, because it's a solid unit, right? And it's kind of easy to do, surprisingly. If you forget to empty it and run the next step through, 
you can fill that bucket to the top plus some, in which case the plus some water goes straight into the vacuum pump. Oh, you no. burn it up and you're done. And I think my, I have a relatively small vacuum pump because I don't have many cows. And I think mine was like $1,200 or something. Yeah, it's not cheap. So the vacuum pump's the expensive part. Be careful with it. Empty your bucket. It's not, it is, it is easier to forget than you think. So once the bucket is empty, reassemble everything and rinse out the sink. So now you're going to do your hot water detergent wash. And you need this water to be as hot of water as you can get. Ideally, no less than 140 degrees. Uh, and that obviously could be tested if you know what your, well, it could be tested with the thermometer or if you know what your hot water heater is capable of doing, that helps too. And you're going to use a chlorine dairy detergent for this step. And this is where I say, that's what everybody will tell you. I use a product called Duofan and it's worked well for me. You could find different things online that, that could work well for you too. So if you do have a clean in place unit though, you'll want to make sure you're using a product made for that. So in the clean in place system, you want a low foaming wash which a lot of the products will say like dual fan, clean in place, low foaming chlorine detergent or whatever, right? Yeah. If you're not using a clean in place unit, that's fine too. And how much of this you use is going to depend on the amount of water you choose to use, the product you use, and the hardness of your water, if you can believe that. So we have super hard water here. I'll touch on a little bit more in just a bit, but we just end up kind of using the higher end of the amounts that the duo fan recommends. Yeah. So this is a step where I go a bit off the rails. So the clean and play system, I have the directions come with it. And I believe that calls for four gallons of water. However, if you read the directions on the detergent, it calls for 10 minutes of runtime. And the four gallons weren't giving me the 10 minutes of runtime or contact time, right? Like, like I was talking about. So I upped my routine to do four gallons through it two times in a row. Um, and why not just fill the sink up with eight gallons and run that because it'll overflow my bucket and Block it, block <laughs> it and flood the pump. So that's why I do four, I'll do four gallons through it, take the lid off, dump that same four gallons back into the sink and run it again. Yeah. I don't fill my sink up, get more detergent. So that just seems wasteful to me. Oh, so you're not using much because it doesn't matter. Like you just need the contact time. You don't need. Yeah. And at that point, the bucket's already rinsed, right? Yeah. So it's relatively clean in air quotes. Yeah. So this running it a second time may not be entirely necessary. I know plenty of people who would look at my eight gallons and be like, that's insanity, but I can't bring myself to break what the manufacturer is recommending for contact time. Again, because yeah. if you don't have contact time, it's not working. It's, it's not working. So at some point when my life settles down, I may play with that and just see, run tests and see what's happening. Yeah. See if I can get by with four or what have you. But for now, I'm going to follow the manufacturer's direction. So after running the detergent, again, remember to empty the bucket. And now you're going to do the acid rinse. So this step seems to be optional too. However, I do it after each and every milking. Some people only run it periodically yeah. once a week or so to knock down the milk stone buildup. But between the hardness of our water, which is insane, because that's what that's the other thing that acid helps with is keep that buildup down, Yeah, is, is hard water. So between the hard water and just my general newness to a machine, I run it after each and every milking. And I know of several dairymen who do the same exact thing and they have mm-hmm. been for years and that's just how they do it. So, so far my test results have proven that that's plenty effective. And to do that, I fill the sink with two to three gallons of warm water. Temp, temp on the acid wash isn't nearly as critical, not for the product I use anyways. So for my product, I use something called Citrafos, um, and it's just a liquid detergent that comes in a gallon or a liquid acid that comes in a gallon jug. And I want to say my, it's, it's like an ounce for every eight gallons or something, whatever it says on the jug. I've calculated that out, diluted it. So it really just works out to be like a small splash. Don't, 
follow my recommendations on that, read your packaging and figure out how much to do. So once I've ran that through the machine, then I dump that all back into a plugged sink. And this is a step where I scrub my bucket out and my machine came with a great long handled brush for this purpose. It's not necessarily a dairy product, but it, it works great. Yeah. So then rinse the sink, reassemble the bucket. And now it's time for the sanitation rinse. I do the sanitation rinse now. Some people will do this like 15 minutes before milking. I've seen that pretty commonly. Oh yeah. What doesn't quite make sense in my head on that 15 minutes before milking is that the entire inside of the machine is going to be wet then and wet specifically yeah. with like bleach water. Right. And you're going to put mere milk in with the bleach water. I can't make it make sense in my head. Right. So I do the approach of sanitizing at the very last step of my cleaning process. You know, I, I don't have any scientific proof to say other than my test results, but you can do that either way, I guess. So I use two to three gallons of water. The temp isn't critical and just a tiny splash of bleach. It needs to be the Clorox brand because they have the, I forget what the chemical is in it, but a lot of the off brands don't. So keep in mind there if you do want to save a little bit of money somewhere. So I run that through the machine and then dump that into a plugged sink as well. And this is the point where I take like the entire machine apart. So the bucket's done. I tip that upside down and hang it on a hook that came with my bucket. So oh, nice. If you don't have that. You can use a, like a dish drying rack or something, wherever you set this thing, it needs to have airflow and it needs to be disinfectable. <laughs> <laughs> Sanitizable. Yeah, that works. Okay. Washable. Washable. <laughs> Cleanable. I don't know. Uh, just don't, you know, don't set it on the floor. Don't set it in your bathroom. Poop I do use a paper towel. <laughs> I do use a paper towel to dry the outside of the bucket. Uh, never dry the inside. I'd never stick my hand or anything else inside that bucket after it's had the sanitation. Yeah. Rinse through it. And it should it should dry overnight. You, yeah, just let it air dry. Yeah. Yep. In my building, I never let it freeze because I have water running through there. Yeah. But by never let it freeze, I mean I'll keep it at 35 degrees. Yeah. And it seems to dry fine. But that's where when you're assembling, you're making note of that. So if you right. still have water in your bucket, turn up the heat a little bit or, you know what I mean, alter mm -hmm. whatever it is you need to do. So now you have, but now back to the sink. You still have your bleach water in the sink. I completely take my machine apart. I submerge it in water, scrub the outside, and then set it aside to dry. I ended up doing it this way because I could not, for the life of me, get it to air dry completely in between milkings. I tried literally everything. And if we know anything at all about bacteria, water, water yeah, grows it. Yeah, loves it. it. Yeah. Grows it. And I don't care if it's bleach water or not, it's going to grow it. So standing water is the enemy. So whatever you end up doing, uh, most people, here's the thing. I've like asked the company about it. I've asked Facebook groups about it. I cannot for the life of me get an answer as to why my particular unit will not dry out without disconnecting everything. Mm -hmm. Most people don't do that. If you're getting your machine completely dry without disconnecting everything, great. I wouldn't do it if, if I didn't have to. But for me, that's the only thing I can, I can figure out to as, how, as to how to get it all the way dry. And I mean, here, but here's the thing. Regardless, like if your cow peed or pooped or whatever while she was hooked up, you need to scrub it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just clean it anyhow. But I take the milk hose off of the claw, scrub it, make sure it gets full contact of, of the bleach water, and then hang it over the clean a place just because it creates a nice loop to where it can drain out. I just did recently learn that grip clamps are a thing. Oh, right. It's like those clamps you'll see in people's garage that like hold their rake. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you didn't know about that. Hoses. Oh, that's yeah, genius. It never crossed my mind to use. Then it, it would be hose, all completely straight down. I know. I know. 
I know. That's so I think smart. I'm going to order those. I'm really kind of excited. <laughs> Who nerds out about this stuff, It's the right? simple things, really. Right. So I am, from there, Melco's is off. I disconnect, or the cloth, from all of the inflations. I take the bottom part off the cloth and leave the rest assembled. I've done, I've done it not taking the claw part. I've done it taking every single piece apart. I have tested this. That's what I found has worked for yeah. me. Yeah. It's really, it's, I mean, it's insanity. And then I take the inflations off the clean place, take the inflations out of the inflation shell. I was finding that there was water hanging out inside oh, of the geez. inflation shell that wasn't mm-hmm. getting drained out. And then I also scrub the lid in the gasket. I have a drying rack. Like it's just a dishwash, like a, for your kitchen. Yeah. D- dish or dish to holder. <laughs> Words. <laughs> One of those wire racks that holds your dishes. Yeah. Dish drying rack. That's probably what that's what the name is. There you go. <laughs> we got there. And so I put that in my sink and just set everything to dry in there. And I just it took me a time or two to orient how everything went in there so that it drains out appropriately. You can figure that out for your equipment in particular. One note on the storing and drying. Air drying really is the best because if you were to take a paper towel or a washcloth and start hand drying, you're introducing whatever bacteria is on those mediums, right? Right. And then secondly, please pay attention to where you're storing your stuff. When I was hand milking, and I'm still neurotic about it, as we talked about earlier about storing my stuff in the dishwasher, I would run the dishwasher and not open it again until I milked. Yeah. And that's just what I did. Again, that's probably slightly above the gold <laughs> standard, but that's what I did. It gave me a serious twitch when I realized that I didn't have a capability to store my machine stuff in something that closed of a container. Yeah. Um, I had to store it in the out, in the outside, uh, <laughs> simply because the stuff, it doesn't fit in there. Like it's yeah. not, that's not going to work. Do the next step better. Just find somewhere where it will not be disturbed. No drafts, no dust kicking out, no one hitting it with their coats when they go out the door, not near your pets, not near your farm boots. Just do the best you can look around, be observant, make a call. A closet is a fantastic place. Yeah. Or, or a big cupboard. I put um, my milking bucket in the cupboard and yeah. and the strainer. So Yeah. If you have somewhere like that that's getting enough airflow but is like closed off from the rest of the world. Right. That's fantastic. The last part of my cleaning routine is that I still do my strainer and jars in the dishwasher. Just gives me a peace of mind that everything's sanitized. And they can stay, again, extra safe in the dishwasher until yeah. I did. So frequently after my milking routine, I try to get the parlor swept up and then some more surfaces wiped down. Ideally, this would be done every single day. But the pregnant version of me doesn't have the energy to do that no, every single day. No, it's hard. Yeah. But my test results are still holding. You want to keep a clean facility, but you don't want to, you don't want to be sweeping like right before you're milking because then all the particles are whipped up into the air and then they're exactly. sucking into your machine. So whenever you do clean your parlor or your milking facility, whatever that may look like, wherever you milk your cow is your parlor for the record. Like, yeah. I know I say that word all the time and I do have more of a facility than a lot of people have definitely more than I need, but there is some less frequent method or less frequent maintenance stuff that you need to do to a machine as well. And as I said earlier, you need to decide what you're comfortable with as far as your routine goes. For us, we do the acid rinse every single time. Some decide to do that weekly. Also, I break down my machine every single time. Again, some people decide to do that weekly. Since we do both of those every single time, we do a big clean once a month. And we just like schedule it to be the first weekend of the month. So we're doing that this weekend. Okay. Like tomorrow. This routine includes, and we usually lay the baby down for a nap and we both yeah. go out there and just do a big old bust it on it. That's nice. So we do a really super thorough clean on the parlor, which is always nice to have things just cleaned up. And then Brian goes through the vacuum lines and anybody can do this. This isn't necessarily a strength thing or anything, but he essentially flushes the vacuum lines with bleach water. And we have a submergible pump that he uses to fill the lines with water. 
and then exhaust the valves one at a time so that fresh, good bleach water is sanitizing and getting all of the way through. Yeah. He lets the bleach water sit in there for a certain amount of time, longer than the two minutes that's required on the bleach on the bleach label, right? And not just disinfects. So our particular vacuum has a drum underneath the vacuum pump, and he opens that up and wipes all of that down too. Not all vacuums have that. One more note on the vacuum pump here. So we have the Nupos oilless pump. If your pump has oil that needs changed, figure out when that needs done and get that on your scheduled plan too. Yeah. Because I don't, I can't speak on that, but I know that is part of the maintenance. And then I, while he's doing that, I do a complete unit scrub down. So I have brushes designed for every step of the cleaning process. And I highly recommend the long handled brush. Like I said, I have a short handled brush for the lid and outer parts. I have a smaller brush for the inside of the claw. It's actually a, ca- a calf bottle brush. Yeah. It just they ha- work good. So happens to fit in there just perfectly. Yeah. I have a special inflation brush. It's actually kind of the coolest thing. It fits in there exactly in the inflations and then it mm-hmm. like rotates around. And then the coolest of all is the hose cleaning brush. It's like a brush that's attached to a big cable. Yeah. So you feed the cable through and then pull right. the hose through. I've seen so, it before. Yeah. Once a month, I break down every single part of that machine and scrub it in both the detergent acid and bleach water. Yeah. I kind of scrub them at all of the steps. That way I know everything's been touched. And then I do do the hoses too with the bleach water and then pull Mm -hmm. everything through. So what I can tell you is that I was following the milk bucket daily cleaning routine. Yeah. On on par. And we ended up having coliforms hanging out in our system somewhere. It was when Penelope first freshened. I couldn't figure out where the heck, what was going on. I was, I was not set up to test in farm. So I was sending all of my tests, which take I mean, months, honestly, by the time that you deal with all the shipping errors and, okay, well, that came back good. So test this or that came back bad. Okay. So test that. Right. Right. What ended up being was that we ended up taking everything apart and scrubbed it. We tested directly from the cow, couldn't figure it out. So we, at the time, didn't know that flushing your vacuum lines is super important. Don't forget that step. Don't skip it because apparently coliforms have a habit of hanging out in there. That's interesting. You know, it's hard to tell exactly where it came from because we have such long vacuum lines. It's, it could be challenging to figure that out exactly. But I mean, even finding the water in between the inflation and the inflation shell, right? Yeah. Like that's part of the vacuum system. It could have been in there. Yeah. It could have been in the hose that hooks to the bucket. It could have been on that corner of the vacuum pump line. It could have really been anywhere, but it just goes to show that it's it's important to do that. So test though, right? Test, test, test. And make sure, because you can't, you can't know if you have everything right without that. So, and then test frequently to make sure that your cleaning standards are holding up. So I know that was like a super nerdy, in-depth, not so fun episode, but I would have killed, I would have killed to have an episode when I was trying to figure all this stuff out. So if you are looking at getting a milk bucket or whatever, have any more specific questions? Some of that I glazed over quickly on account of the fact that we're like an hour and a half in already on part (laughs) two, mind you, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm going to do my part. We're breaking down and processing the rest of that calf calf. Yeah. So we're doing all of the cuts and all of that. I assume that's going to take me most of the weekend on account of the fact that we're newbies, but come Monday, I'll start getting information together. And then when this episode comes out, hopefully we have a highlight on Instagram of some. Yeah. That would be super fun to put it to a video like it makes more sense that way yeah because it's so hard to explain all this stuff so anyhow if you were confused by any of that please um, head over to our instagram look under the highlights we'll have something there about milking machines and um, find some information there so until next time happy Happy milking. milking bye
Bye.